Now, we are in week two of our series called The Road Home, and this series is about getting back to what Jesus originally intended um, his church and his followers to be like, to live like, and experience as part of his family. And if you're not quite sure that you are ready to be a Christian yet, this is a great series to be here. Because we're going to be talking about um, what the church and those who follow Christ are supposed to be like, the ideal, the goal, the dream. And you can decide whether you want to be a part of what God is doing here or not. And last week we talked about Jesus, what he came here to, to, to start was not a religion, but a relationship. Thank you, the two of you that listened. I love this job. That's great. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I know all of you, if you're awake, would have answered that perfectly. Um, but no, we said last week that Jesus came here to, to not start a religion, but to start a relationship. And religion is any system in place that says, if you don't do these things, then God doesn't like you. If you don't follow these rules, then God doesn't love you. If you don't do what's right, if you do what's right, you're going to go to heaven. If you don't do what's right, you know where you're going. <laughs> you don't want to go there. So that's religion. And because religion is so pervasive, many people view their relationship with God through the lens of being religious, attending church, following the rules, jumping through hoops, checking the box. If you check the box, you get God's favor. If you don't, um, God is against you. And what we found out last week was that Jesus, God in the flesh, was actually against religion. He hated religion. In fact, I think you should read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the first quarter of this year. I think you should make it a goal of yours to read through the book of John, the fourth gospel, and then keep on reading. Because what you'll find in there is Jesus was constantly asked questions about religion, about rules, about the law is what they called it. So every you just read it yourself. People would ask, hey, um, what's the greatest commandment? List them out. Who can get remarried after they're divorced? Who, uh, should we pay taxes or not? And I know you want to know the answer to that one, but I'm not giving it to you. You got to read it yourself. Um, all of the religious questions about the rules that they asked, Jesus constantly responded with a relational answer because he came not to start a religion, but build a relationship. And then he built a following based on relationship, love, kindness, humility, and serving one another. That's the heart of Jesus. It's what the church is supposed to be. So if you felt like you've rejected religion in your past, you are in good company because so did Jesus. Now, when we get to this week, today is called Jesus came not to start a church, but a family. Jesus didn't come here to build a church here on earth, but a family full of his people. And so to set up where we're going today, I want you to listen to a song that I think really captures where people are at today. And then we're going to watch a video with a guy named Chris Zarbaugh, who's one of my best friends in ministry, um, giving us a little bit of insight into something you may not know about the Redwoods out in California. church where a wedding has been, lives in a dream, waits at the window, wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. Who is it for all the lonely people? Where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do Father Mackenzie, 
Have you ever found yourself in the middle of an incredible experience, but had nobody to share it with? Maybe you hit a hole in one on a golf course, or laughed so hard at a movie the tears rolled down your cheek. These experiences become less vibrant when nobody is there to share in the excitement. And what about when life gets tough? Have you ever had to endure the loss of a loved one gone through a divorce, the pain of recovering from an addiction, and no one was there to embrace you when it hurt the most? The loneliness in these moments can amplify the pain. But what if this life was not meant to be lived alone? What if we were designed to flourish in relationship with others? To learn more about God's plan for our lives, perhaps we don't need to look any further than the forest. I'm here in the Redwood Forest of California, and these trees are some of the tallest, strongest, and oldest trees on the face of the planet. I visited here a few years ago, and ever since then, I've been fascinated with these trees. I ask people, how tall do you think redwoods get? Well, the tallest redwood tree is around 380 feet. And how old do you think they get? And most people say hundreds of years, but you have to keep going. It's in the thousands. The oldest redwood tree is believed to be somewhere around 2,500 years old. That means that there's a real possibility that some of these trees were right here in this spot about 500 years before Jesus Christ walked the earth. The real question is, in order for a tree to survive that long and stay that tall, how deep do you think the root system has to go? Most people guess around 150 to 300 feet or so. But the answer is, believe it or not, redwood tree roots only go about five to six feet deep. And if you're like me, you say, well, how's that even possible? How does a tree that weighs 500 tons 
survived 25 centuries against the forces of nature, and yet they rarely ever fall. And the answer is because they have to grow in community. Beneath the surface, redwood trees actually interlock root systems with other redwood trees. And the amazing thing is, only redwoods have the strength to hold up other redwoods. So even though on the outside they look independent, beneath our feet they are depending on each other for nutrients and strength. Some people asked Jesus what the greatest commandments in the law were, and Jesus responded by saying, relationships. He said, your two primary relationships are God first, and then your relationship with everyone else is second. In Matthew 22, Jesus said, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he said, and the second commandment is just like it, to love your neighbors yourself, and all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And it amazes me how he said the second commandment is like the first. Because to have a relationship with my heavenly father makes sense. But then for God to compare that and say we are just as dependent and we should have relationships with everyone else around us blows me away. When I think of these trees and I think of the fact that they are designed by God to grow and to live and to survive and to thrive only in the context of community, I think we have so much to learn because we are designed the exact same way. We're created in the image of God who is a relational being. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they work together intrinsically. They are relational, depending on one another in ways that we can't even understand, and yet we are created to be relational beings. You know, every once in a while, you come across a tree like this one that's by itself, completely isolated. And even though on the outside, this tree looks really strong and tall, it's missing what matters the most right beneath the surface. A lot of the experts would tell you that even though this tree on the outside looks really impressive, sometime in our lifetime, it's expected to fall down. And even though I look at this thing and I think, man, it's lived a great life. The only thing I can think of now, knowing what I know is, it has so much unreached potential. And I think to myself, man, that is how we will experience life we don't have others around us. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, Two are better than one because they can help each other succeed. If one falls down, the other can help. But he who falls alone is in real trouble. So, how do you want to live? as a lone tree, hoping that your roots are strong enough to weather life's storms alone, or with the support of others around you, believing in you, knowing that as you grow stronger, so does your neighbor. that song um, before the video is a Beatles song released in 1966, and it had some pretty sobering words, didn't it? Um, if you really got into that, um, I believe the words of that song may even be more relevant today than they were when they wrote it, um, especially in our world where superficial connection via device is more common. 
than deep relational um, in-person relationships. That's just the way our, our society has gone. And what struck me about that song um, is that, that is the one thing that God designed to help all lonely people failed in that song. It was the church. And it had failed at one of its primary responsibilities that God gave it. And I love the video you just saw about the Redwoods in California. If you would have asked me um, before I saw this video, um, which I saw it a, a number of years ago, but if you would have asked me um, how deep the roots are of those redwoods, I would have been the same. Gosh, 100, 150, 200 feet deep. And, you know, when Chris said it's five to six feet deep, I'm like, that. how can that be? But when you look at the way that they depend on one another, the one line that caught me is when he said the only thing strong enough to hold up a redwood is what? Another redwood. It's another redwood. So here's what I believe today God has some life-changing truths for you and I to hear. And I want to just pray before we jump in because I believe God has some things he wants to deal with in all of our lives. So let's pray together. Um, Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to open your word and learn new things. Um, God, I pray that you would challenge each one of us in the areas of our life that we need to hear from you about. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to be open to your voice. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me. I just ask that I would just be a conduit, that I would just be um, uh, your voice uh, today. God, I don't, I don't have anything worthwhile to share, but you do. And so, God, I invite you to speak through me and, and ask that you would just anoint our time together, fill this room with your presence, and help us all to, to, to just grow in, in at, least, at least one step closer to you and our walk with you through um, what we do here this morning. In your holy name, amen. So when people think of the word church, when you think of the word church, you can think of all kinds of different things. Um, the first image that comes to your mind might be something like this. You guys can put that first image up. Maybe that's what you think of when I go, hey, what do you think of when you think of the church? Depending on your background, maybe it's a, it's a church with a steeple. Um, or maybe it's this next picture. Maybe this is what you picture when you think of the church. It's stained glass. Maybe you grew up in a church that had stained glass everywhere. Or, or maybe it's this. I don't know if you grew up in a church with pews. Um, I know I, we kind of did all of those things when I was growing up. Um, but when people think of the word church, uh, sometimes we think of images like that. But we also feel things when people are to ask us, what do, you, what do you feel about the church? For some of you, maybe it's a positive feeling, a safe feeling, a, a feeling that ties you to like your family growing up and their good memories. Um, others, uh, and probably more prevalent, are, are negative feelings. Maybe you had a bad experience with church people or church leadership, or maybe you just have a problem with organized religion and what that stands for. Um, maybe the feeling you get is feels like pressure when you think about the church. Um, and over the years, I've found there are plenty of people um, that don't necessarily have a problem with God, but they do have a problem with organized religion. They do have a problem with the church because organized religion is kind of um, produced as an institution of feelings of guilt and shame and an atmosphere that a lot of people have run from. And I'll just tell you, I have a, a long history with religion. I was a Catholic for a short stint in my life. I rose to the prominent position of altar boy for one Sunday, split out of that one. Um, and then we bounced around to all kinds of Protestant and non-denominational churches. Um, and even here, I meet former Catholics that come here and love our church and love what we are all about. Um, they understand everything that's going on and it's relevant to their life in a new way. Um, and over half of them struggle with coming here. You want to know why? Why do you think half of the Catholics that come here struggle with being here? Guilt. Somebody nailed it. It's guilt. They feel guilty. 
they feel guilty, like they're, they're cheating on the Catholic Church. They feel like they're doing something they're not supposed to. And let me just say, I don't think that was God's intention for the church to place burdens on people that they would carry guilt over an attending an institution or not. And so I want to talk today about what the church is supposed to be. I want to talk about what Jesus came here to begin. He became to really create a movement of people who are following him and following his ways because the church doesn't refer to a building. And I, I know we say, hey, I'm going to church and we typically refer to a building. Um, it's really the people that are the church. We're the church. When, when we speak about the kind of church that Jesus was talking about, he wasn't talking about buildings on into the future. He was talking about his people. This is just a building that we gather in. And so over the centuries, what's happened is um, the first church, was a which was a community of Christ followers, um, it, over the centuries, it came to mean a building with a steeple on it. You know, I know you guys, you guys know, isn't, isn't it? It's like, here's a church and here's a steeple. What's inside? Uh, no people in my church, but here's all the people. I did it wrong. <clears throat> but a church being a building is so far removed from what Jesus came to give us. He came to create a sense of family centered around a relationship with him, a spiritual family. And that spiritual family is God's answer to the problem of loneliness in the world. It's one of his answers because it meets every need that every one of us has. And it, meets, it meets a need that every one of us has. And that is the need we have for a family where we are known and loved, not just our immediate family. But we have a need for a family where we are known and loved. How many of you guys saw the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? Like, I know, it's all you old people in your 40s. You saw it. Um, it came out 19 years ago. How old do you feel? 19 years ago. But he's stranded on a deserted island. And I would just say, in today's culture, don't go watch the movie. It is so slow, you will pull your eye lashes out. I'm like thinking, man, I'm struggling with words today. Um, but what does he do? He's stranded on a desert island. He creates someone to talk to out of a volleyball named Wilson, right? He literally laughs, he cries, he laments, he hugs Wilson. He creates somebody to be with him. Why? Because together's better. It's always been better. We are created with an innate need for family and community. Um, there's an author and psychiatrist, Edward Hallowell. This is what he writes. He writes, for most people, the two most powerful experiences in life are achieving and connecting. Connecting has to do with our relational world. Achieving has to do with our accomplishments. Our society is increasingly devoted to, obsessed with, and enslaved by achieving, and increasingly bankrupt and impoverished when it comes to connecting. And the people we put up on pedestals in our society are people that have achieved. That's who we look up to. That's who we want to be like, people that have achieved in fact, I would say so many of us, we've sold out um, to connecting deeply with others because we're so busy achieving. We don't connect deeply with other people because we're so busy doing work and getting ahead that it's a detriment to ourselves and our families because God designed you and I to do life best together. There's so many things that are better together. I bought my motorcycle seven years ago, and it was really cool. Um, when, I, when I first started riding, I took it everywhere. I rode by myself most of the time, and then I went on my first group ride. 
And man, it is so fun being on a group ride. It is so cool turning a corner, just, just kind of leaning your bike over and looking in your side view, your rear view mirror there, and you can just see a line of bikes two by two just coming around the corner, man. It's like, not only does it feel super cool, um, it is just, it, it changed the entire experience of riding a motorcycle. And you realize it's not as much fun to ride alone. I don't ride as much as I used to because I don't really have anybody to ride with, and I really like riding with people. Riding in packs is more fun, and it's the perfect activity for dudes, right? Because you stop at a stop sign. Hey, man, your bike running good? Yeah, man, yours? Yeah, let's go. Mm, that's it. And it's like you walk, at the end of that, you're like, man, we connected. Mm, best friends. <laughs> that's just the way it works. Together's better. We need each other. And I'll just tell you, we believe so strongly that together is better. It's one of our seven core values. And that value is as a family. And this is how that value reads. We lock arms in community, support, and accountability to accomplish God's mission together. It's one of my favorite values we have because of what it represents. It meets our need for all of us longing to be known and loved for who we are. And then it meets that need for us to know and love others for who they are. That's God's design for the church to meet that need. That's how he designed it. It's amazing that it's not just Jesus. Did you, did you understand that? It's Jesus and people. It's Jesus and family. Jesus and community. Jesus and his church, the way he intended it. We long to be a part of a community where people know your name and your story and they still love you where there is no judgment. And I'll tell you, in an area like ours, I've lived in Central Florida for nine years, um, and I've felt like God has wanted us to create a specific kind of community and family here in Central Florida, a place where you don't just call it um, your church, but that you would call Central Florida home because of what's happening here. And it's really simple, simple why I believe God gave us this vision five years ago because there's so many people from all over the world that live here, um, it's hard for this place to feel like home. We're mo mainly from all over the United States. We're from all parts of the world. Um, we have a diversity of backgrounds. We have a variety of places where we're like, our, my story growing up, I don't know anyone else that I've met in Central Florida that's from where I grew up at, in Groves, Texas. Not one single person. I rarely meet people from Southeast Texas that live here. And Southeast Texas is a little bit wonky because it's really close to Louisiana and it's still Texas. So it's just kind of one of those places where if you're from there, you get it. If you don't, there's no way you can know. If you've lived here for very long, you've experienced the transiency of this area where you have had, if you have lived here for five years or more, you have had close friends move away. People that you've grown close to that suddenly get a job transfer, that suddenly go back to where they're from because of different reasons that have happened in their life. You've experienced that. Most of the people that I know um, that aren't from here have a way of talking that I noticed about three, four years after we moved in here. I used to talk this way around the holidays and around summertime. People will say, hey, I'm going home for Christmas. I'm going home for Easter. I'm going home for vacation, and then we'll be back here uh, when we get back. It's just what they say. I said it. I believe our dream for the community here is that we might be able to make this place that has such a feel of as a family that we actually change the way people talk. I dream of us creating such a sense of home here that people might actually say, I'm going back to where I moved from 
for Christmas, and I'll be home first week of January. I think that's the dream that God has given us. Could we create such a family here that we actually change the way people view their time here so that home isn't somewhere else, but home actually becomes here? There are two passages of scripture I want to walk us through um, and share with you that give us a glimpse of how God sees as a family when it comes to the church. And the first analogy is seeing the church as intricately woven together as our bodies. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament, um, kind of one of the lead church planters in the New Testament. Um, our church here in America actually started from a church that Paul started um, over in Europe and then came over here. And he wrote about the idea of the church. And he says in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. All baptized is speaking to those who here, in here have accepted Christ. If you have done that, Paul describes us as one body. If you haven't, maybe today's your day to say, you know what, I want to be a part of this movement of Christ followers, and maybe today you accept Jesus into your life for the first time. He goes on, verse 14, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, um, it would, for that reason, not for that reason, stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And what those two verses really say is to every one of you, you matter. Every single one of you matter. You're gifted in something and we need your gift. Every gift is needed in the body. God has a purpose for you in the family of God. Don't discount that you're uniquely beautiful in God's eyes. You have something that no one else has. And it's like you matter here. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. What does that say? And we are different than each other by God's design. There is purpose in your making. You are different on purpose. Don't look at somebody else and say, gosh, I wish I were more like them. You are actually built to complement other people. We are meant to complement one another. We are meant to hold each other up by design. Use our gifts at this church. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable or unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. What are those verses saying? Whether you know it or not, we need each other. There's a, okay, we are so independent in our culture, we are against codependence. We are against codependency, and I'm just telling you, God right here just says, you are codependent because he made you that way. You need other people. That is not a weakness. It's just like Chris shared in the video. You want to do it on your own, you're like a redwood that'll fall over this in our lifetime because your root system is dead. It's not connected to anybody else. God designed you to be codependent in a healthy sense of the word. Okay, there's an unhealthy codependency in a healthy sense of the word. But that's what Paul's saying, the eye by itself, no good, a little gross, 
It means a body. But God has put the body, you, the people of his church, remember, he's saying the church is like this, you, the people of this church, God has put the body together. God put you together. God put us together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. And this is beautiful. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. This is family at its best. We're designed to work in harmony, depend on one another, and to help each other. In the good seasons and the bad seasons. And this says it all. You have a place to belong. You have a place for your unique gifts to be used to impact eternity. You have a place to call your spiritual family. You have a place to grow at your own pace where you are loved and regularly taught about the one person in your life that's capable of loving you unconditionally, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only person that can love you unconditionally. That's why I believe wholeheartedly that when the church is functioning and hitting on all cylinders and doing the things that Christ designed the church to do, the church, when functioning properly, is supposed to be the closest thing to heaven this side of eternity. Can you imagine a church like that? That is the closest thing to heaven this side of eternity. I long for that. In fact, that's why I do what I do. Because I believe that we can become that. I believe that church can be that. I believe that you can be that. And that us together, I believe that we can create a life-changing home for people that are never the same after stepping foot here. So I want to um, spend our remaining minutes uh, sharing how we go about doing that. And I want to give you three kind of ingredients to um, real community happening. And I want to pull that out of one of my favorite passages of Scripture in Acts 2. We looked at it last week, but it really gives us God's design and what he designed the church to, to be. Um, in Acts 2, what happens is, is Jesus ascends to heaven from earth, and the first church begins. And we start reading about what happened when the church, Jesus' followers, got together and started doing life together as a family. In verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And out of that passage of scripture, I want to answer, how does real community happen? How do we build as a family? It's three ingredients. And the first one is this, intentional time. Intentional time. Acts 2.46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. There's a book called, uh, by John Ortberg called Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. Um, and uh, in his book, he says this about community. He says, people rarely drift into deep community. Psychologist Alan McGinnis notes that rule number one for entering into deep friendships sounds deceptively simple. Assign top priority to your relationships. And then he goes on, ironically, we tend to devote massive amounts of time to making money, running errands, and succeeding at our jobs, but we neglect giving our most valuable possession time to the experience for which we were created, community. What's intentional time mean? It means organized time. And I'll just tell you, you're going to hear us invite you all the time, jump into a small group. 
Why? Because it's intentional time to grow together with Jesus and one another. I want every one of you to be in a small group. We've got men's groups, women's groups, couples groups. Um, we've got all kinds of, they meet every night of the week. There's something going on in a small group somewhere that you could be a part of. And I'll just tell you, I love our small group. We have seven families in it. When we are all there, our living room is full. We've been together for two, three years. And what are we doing? We're becoming a family with community support and accountability. We're all raising teenagers. So we need community support and accountability to not strangle them to death every day. All right, we need that. But why do we ask you to invite, invite you to be a part of a small group? As a family, you need to make intentional time to grow spiritually if you're going to live as a family. And K-Kids in our student ministries, do you know they do small groups every single time they get together? As a family. And K-Kids, we want them to be with the same small group leader every week or two. That's why we want your kids to be here every week. They have a small group leader that loves them, that's pouring into them. Three times a year, we make a big deal out of inviting you to be on one of our serving teams. In fact, when you walked in, you have this insert in your program. This is not just a we need help. This is also a you need community. Believe it or not, some of my best friends that I've had in my life have come from the serving teams I've been on at the churches I've been at. This is about community. Do we need your help? Absolutely. If you want to volunteer in K-Kids, we need you like ASAP. But you're not doing it to fill a need. You're doing it because you need community intentionally centered around the things of God. We need that. So I'm just telling you, there's a group here for you. But you got to take a step. Fill out that volunteer thing. Put in the offering in a few minutes. Fill out that volunteer thing. Stop by starting point. Give it to them. See where you can connect and maybe just start doing as a family through intentional time. Why? Because you're intentionally making time for a spiritual community. All right, that's the first ingredient. Second ingredient is hang time. Verse 46, second half, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hard hearts. Key word for this is organic. It was just organic. Time to just be together and cultivate friendships. And one of the things it says here that's key is they ate together. You know why God gave us food? To sustain our bodies and to slow us down to slow us down. For you to have an intimate rela relationship with somebody, you need chunks of unhurried time. You can't do community in a hurry. And a lot of us, we lack good friendships for the simple reason that we've never made pursuing community a high priority. So God gave us food. Have people over for dinner. It's a way of hang time happening where you're just together. You're just talking about stuff. And it's a little more than stopping at a stop sign on a motorcycle, okay? It gives you a little time to actually talk, which guys don't love to do, but we'll do if you corner us, right? We'll do it. First ingredient to a family is intentional time, written in pen on your schedule. Second ingredient is hang time, organic time, just to be together. Third ingredient to this value is God time. It's God time. Acts 2.47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. They had moments of God time growing in their faith together at their regular gatherings, which are Sunday mornings. That's why it's important to be here every week. It's spiritual, family, God time. But they also had God time in their homes. And I'll just tell you this. I'll just give you a little bit of coaching here. Um, it's not that hard to do, but you got to be intentional about it. You can turn organic hang time into God time. Somebody's got to step up and ask a question, but if you do turn it into God time, 
you'll be amazed at the conversations that you have. It turns it into a rich, a rich outing. Um, and here's how you turn a conversation, hang time, into, G, into God time, Jesus time. Um, one is how are you doing spiritually, literally. I know sometimes you can ask that question out of nowhere. How, how are you doing spiritually? Let's talk about that. It might be a little uncomfortable, but somebody's got to think and ask a question at some point because we can meet forever and never talk about spiritual things in 21 years of ministry, 22 years of ministry. I don't know how many years of ministry, okay? It's been a while. Um, I've never had somebody not answer that question, whether they're Christians or not. You know, you can ask somebody that doesn't go to church how they're doing spiritually, and they will give you an answer. There's something about that question, how are you doing spiritually, that brings up God time. All of a sudden, you're talking about God things. Another one is, you know, next layer down. I mean, this is like, mm, what's God teaching you? Oh, that's a good one. What's God teaching you? Oh, I don't know. You know, at some point, you got to ask questions. At some point, you got to get into it. Where are you learning right now in Scripture? Boy, that's a toughie. Because crap, I'm not in scripture. I don't know. Or maybe you just go, man, you know, I was reading this verse the other day. I, you, you never know. How do you turn hang time into God time? You just start asking spiritual questions and be willing to just talk spiritually and to say, I don't know if the question comes up that you don't know and say, I'm struggling with that too. When someone shares something really difficult, a lot of times, what do we say? Man, I'll, I'll pray for you. And sometimes we mean it. Sometimes we do it. But what about... Let's pray right now. Oh, out loud. <laughs> when you take intentional time to be with people of God, and you just get hang time where you're spending time with people and relationships are born, and you turn that in hang time into God time, you will be amazed at the root system that will develop in your life. What does it take to hold up a redwood? The only thing that can is another redwood. What does it take to hold up a man or a woman? Another man or a woman that's willing to lock arms and create roots. You need that. I need that. And when we do that together, the, the, the outcome is absolutely beautiful.